Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. This is episode number 108, which is called Race on Instinct and Avoid Overthinking with Grant Giles. Grant's a, well, I've known him through mutual friends for quite a while. He's a triathlon coach, and to me, he's one of the best coaches that that teaches and coaches a lot based around mindset, intuitiveness, and beliefs. And we talk, we talk a lot about that sort of stuff in the podcast. It goes for quite a while. It's probably one of the longest podcasts that I've done, um, but for good reason. We, we talk about a lot of uh, different topics from uh, how to change your structured beliefs and the methods and the, the questions that he asks his athletes in order to get them to change their beliefs. We talk about over-planning races and how many people are too guarded and protective with the races that they do and how that following that plan to a T can sometimes work against them as opposed for them. We talk about the dichotomy of mindfulness and how sometimes you're better off just focusing on the process in order to get into flow. We talk about how many athletes make excuses as opposed to changing their belief systems if they want to get better results in their in their races. And, and one of the things that, that the Grant says in, in one of the articles that he wrote recently was, the outside situations we stew over as athletes are not responsible for the pressure we are feeling. So he's basically saying that the pressure is something that we make up, but it can impact us in the wrong ways if we let that pressure play out and impact us too much. So we, we talk about that. And we also talk about going about training, going about racing on intuition, as opposed to following too much with the data. Yes, data is good, but we don't want to have that be the primary driver as opposed to developing the intuition around our pacing and how we're feeling and listening to our body and our gut when it comes to racing. So uh, let's get into the podcast. This is uh, Grant Giles, triathlon coach. Uh, He also runs workshops around uh, mindset and mental training at sportsupports.com.au. So I recommend checking that out. If uh, you or anyone you know would like to attend a workshop and develop your mental strength and mindset around sports. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is someone who I've had on before, Grant Giles, and uh, I really enjoyed chatting with Grant last time. Uh, A lot of mutual friends that we have just through uh, triathlon and uh, I know a lot of your athletes uh, quite well too Grant so thank you for joining me back on the podcast. No problem thanks for having me again. Uh, I, I got in contact last week because I've seen a lot of the posts that you've been doing recently just about coaching in general and belief systems and um, and, and from the last podcast that we did too I really like the way that you approach um, approach triathlon and, and sport in general and I think it's yeah, you're a very um, do I use the term mindful coach? You think things through very deeply, um, almost in a philosophical way, which I which I really enjoy, and um, and I like that, especially with with the approach that you take for for your coaching. And I mean, you've got quite a um, quite a few good athletes that you're working with, and you've been in the sport a, a long time. What um, you know, what sort of stuff have you been, I guess, uh, talking about recently with with your athletes and with other coaches? Is there anything that's sort of come about recently that's been you know, that stood out to you yeah i think um well for in my experience the bit the big thing in sport that um i i'm seeing at the moment across the board of, of all levels is 
how people deal with their belief systems and and you know and and the feedback that I've gotten from other coaches about um about their athletes belief systems and and how to keep their athletes engaged because you know lots of people are so scattered these days but the the belief system component is a <clears throat> is a societal constraint that we've all that we've all got that we grew up with so it's it's kind of it's trying to line athletes up i think to get the best out of themselves without being boxed in by this um rigid belief system that we we all can't help growing up with if that makes sense what are some of the the negative belief systems that you've seen with uh well i guess with age groupers and with a with professional triathletes what are some of the really common things that you see holding people back oh self-judgment i mean i mean that's the big one self self-judgment for 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 athletes is it's it's a really destructive thought process and it's a thought process that we we learn growing up it only takes one person somewhere along the line to say you're not good enough you're not fast enough you don't have the right body type you don't have the right psychological structure and boom that that belief becomes part of that human and because as human beings we we kind of tend to define ourselves by what we think we think that's what we are. So when you say to yourself, I'm not enough, I'm not, uh, my body type's wrong, I don't have the right psychological structure, that, that belief system is what you believe you are. And that's, that's the limiting, that's the limiting part of that whole dynamic. It's so destructive for athletes. Mm. I've seen that a lot, especially with, uh, in, in swimming coaching. I've seen, I've seen age group or junior swim coaches um say say some stuff to to kids which is just not not helpful so you know like coach is saying to a 14 year old girl that you need to lose weight if you want to get faster and you know stuff like that it's just not it's not productive and that can really stick with someone for a very long time and i think the way that the way that well anyone but coaches in particular should approach this stuff is um you've got to think a lot about the words that you're using and the way that you're saying things and it's how i try and you know i've, I've sort of been looking into parenting quite a bit as as well and because um, now that i've got a, a young one and um, just in terms of in, encouragement is you know encourage the effort that he puts in um, and not so much the the result because it's it's more about giving your best working hard than about the actual outcomes that you you achieve from it and um yeah and that that self self-belief um you know, I I talk with a lot of coaches like yourself about this sort of stuff, and it's it's something that on a daily basis I run into as well when I'm with my own training. So, what what sort of stuff do you like to? I guess what questions do you ask? What do you do to help change the belief systems of your your athletes? Well, I mean, the, I think one of the biggest things is getting people to look at outcome in a different way. So, so instead of um, looking at the goal and the outcome, the, the, the simplest way to put it is your outcome is a product of your focus. Um, you know, it's, it, it's the outcome is, is a product of how much, how present you can be during a, an event or a process, and that's how you get the best out of it. So if you're 
future-based or past-based during that process, the outcome isn't going to be what it could have been. And that includes the way you think. Like if you think I'm not good enough or I don't have the right body type like we talked about just a moment ago and you're projecting that into the process, then you're disconnected from the process and you, you, you're, not, you're not able to, to um, reach your potential. And I think that's the, that's the important thing. And, and the other thing is what I'm trying to do with my athletes right now is get them to understand that the belief system structure that they have is not the definition of what they are. You can actually separate the two out without wanting to get too hippie about it. Like you, you can actually, at the, at, the, at the core, we are a field of awareness. I mean, that's what even meditation teaches is that we are a field of awareness. Then you have this belief system and a thought structure that is based on all your experiences that you've, you've had growing up. So when... When you, what I try and get people to do is see that, yes, what you think is there, but it doesn't have to affect you. And and the most important thing that I try and teach our athletes at the moment is that you are the master of your thoughts. The thoughts are not the master of you. And a lot of people are victim and and slave to their thoughts, but the thoughts just go around in circles. There's no real intelligence to those thoughts. The raw intelligence is in the connection to the performance or the connection to the training session. So really what I'm trying to teach people in training is to just get conscious with your training. Be be in in your training, in the process, in the felt sense and don't let the negative belief system affect the moment that you're in. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's good. It's um and it often takes someone someone like yourself to say that to someone like it's you say that and it seems oh, okay well actually that's that's quite obvious if you think about it that way but when you're in the thick of things and you're and you're training hard and you're racing you know you, you don't think about that sort of stuff and so if you can have someone like you ex- explain that you know thoughts are just thoughts it doesn't doesn't define who you are it's a really good way to i guess step out of step out of your head um, which is really easy to get stuck in as as an athlete um, and to be able to just make that that small shift in um, in how you think about things and I, I did a podcast recently which is sort of along the same lines is basically uh, the way I like to approach training is like you're driving a manual car you should sort of be thinking about things that's when you should be focused on your your stroke and you it's okay to be sort of thinking a bit more but when you come to race all the thinking should be done so you can just go straight into autopilot and hopefully just you know get into flow and let that intuitiveness of your pacing and you know and, and your race skills and your competitiveness just come in without thinking about things and um, it's a it's a hard thing to to master but I think with enough practice and approaching it the right way for me at least that's when I've seen the, the best results is when I've just let all the thinking happen in training. And so when it gets to race time, just just focus on effort and pace and just kind of be in the moment as, as much as possible. 100%. That, I mean, that's, that, that's perfect. That's exactly how I feel and think about, about what we're doing as well. What, what the purpose of your training is to make your racing automatic. So it, 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 it just 
So your mind is is just free and empty and you can just be aware of your surroundings and, and then you can make intelligent decisions, not mm. not decisions based in fear or or um, self-judgment or any of those kinds of things. So I think the the challenge for us as coaches is to make our athletes conscious of their own unconsciousness. And I, I'll give you an example. Like it's been, I don't know, you know, I know, I know in Melbourne there's been some really hot days and there's it's been stinking hot up here. Like this is the hottest summer I can remember in 12 years. And I keep saying to people, you know, take water, take water with you. Well, how do I take the water? Well, just, I don't know, get a, get a water bottle carrier and take a water bottle carrier or just hold the bottle in your hand, you know, just carry the water bottle. No, no, that, I'm, you know, that, that just, it just doesn't feel good to carry a water bottle in my hand when, it, you know, when I'm running. So I don't take any. But the fact of the matter is, in a race, you've got every single like every single kind of situation that you can imagine can unfold and does unfold. It, it's that very, it's that varied, it's crazy. And and if you've got a structure where your your belief system is telling you, I don't want to carry a water bottle because it's uncomfortable, then what's going to happen on race day? You know what I mean? That the the race is going to throw at you whatever it whatever it can. And it's how if you're completely accepting and okay of what's happening, then then um, you've got a much better chance of, of getting a great race out. And, I, and here's um, my wife Christy told me this story the other day. She she used to be in an adventure racing team with John Jacoby. And John Jacoby was a um, three-time world champion kayaker, and he had this situation where he'd be in a race and everybody would be sitting in his wash, and he got fed up with it. And they do these portalages where they have to run with their kayak. So he got the idea of going to the track and running 400 reps with his kayak on his shoulder. And everybody was laughing. <laughs> but he proceeded to win three world titles three years in a row because he gapped everybody in these portalages. I mean, that's portages. And that's what – that is the definition of somebody who's aware enough to go, what do I need to do here? What, what could I do that nobody else is willing to do? And when you when you're the slave to a belief system that it it just there's not enough intelligence there for you to see those gaps to see those opportunities. Yeah, that's I, I like that. That's um, that's what I I try and do with the athletes that I, I coach as much as possible. Is you want to be prepared for as many situations as possible. So it's you know it's okay to. Um, yeah, for example, myself and a, another friend, uh, we were training on Monday. Um, so we're training for the, the Rotto swim in a week and a half. And, um, the, this was, we had one more long swim to do and the weather or the wind was right up on Monday. So it was like 30, 40 K an hour. It was choppy. It was cold. It was miserable, but we just, you know, we thought, all right, bugger it. We'll go out there and, um, we'll see how long we can sort of last with it. And it wasn't, it wasn't fun. It wasn't enjoyable, but I know that, you know, I, I could do two hours fairly comfortably in very average conditions. And yeah. it's same with, um, you know, I know coaches, swim coaches that'll have their, their swimmers do a, a, an all out 50, all out hundred with no goggles, because what if your goggles come off, uh, after the dive and just, just things like that, prepare yourself to, um, to have things thrown at you during a race and it's the confidence that you get from training that you know you can then carry out into a race and one of the posts that you did recently on facebook was about 
so many people are, are guarded and protective with the races that they do. Everything's got to be perfect and lined up and planned. Whereas one of the things that you mentioned was don't worry too much about that. Just let the you know, race intuitively and, and there's no need to overplan those things because things will probably not go to plan and people tend to put a lot of pressure on themselves when, they, when they've got this very structured plan to, to follow. Yeah, yeah. People, I mean, what, I, what I'm seeing is um, people are in judgment of their race plan as it unfolds. So they've got a race plan for the swim. They've got a race plan for the bike. They've got a race plan for the run. They've got a race plan for nutrition, <laughs> you know, and, it, and, and that's okay. Like you, you can have a rough plan, but once the gun goes off, that, that thing should unfold instinctively. And whatever you've trained should surface instinctively, which gives, which loops back to your training. If you're, if you're, in judgment of your training, you can guarantee you're going to be in judgment on race day. So the the intuition is really important because the judgment is taking you out of the process. It's taking you, you out of what you're trying to achieve. It's taking you away from the goal and further away from the outcome. And that's why the whole thing's it's interconnected. It's and it, it can get very congested and and the and it, it just breeds pressure. So I'm not saying don't have a plan, but you, it's got that that plan has to be liquid. It has to have flow, and and um, so that so anything that eventuates in that race, you have to be able to immediately accept it and not resist it, because every second you resist it, resist it is seconds you're losing. So the thing has flow. Like for instance. You know, if you let's just say you, for a triathlete, if you're doing an Ironman and your stomach's full of gas and full of full of wind and and it, it's not accepting food and your watch goes off and it's time for you to down another gel, are you going to listen to your body or are you going to listen to your race plan? And what I've found is people saying to me, my race plan tells me I need to throw another gel down, so I throw another gel down. That's just that's not only that's insanity. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever but that's how attached people are to race plans so the idea is to let the thing be fluid do as much as you can in training to 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 get what you need to surface instinctively on race day so the 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 reason that loops back to your training is if you're not aware and conscious through your body in training then you can't expect that on race day either yeah, I like that. And one of the things, it, just the um, instinctiveness and intuitiveness that that I like to try and coach is is just around pacing with your with your swimming. And um, again, I did another podcast on on this, but just about the overuse of of swim watches in in training. And yes, there are definitely some some times that I recommend using it. If you're going open water, you want to track your distance, you want to look at how long you've been in. All that stuff is great, but. Yeah. But even in that, it's in the clinics that we run, people, you know, we're doing some drills. It's just all about technical focus, building yeah. awareness around how things are feeling. Um, but they're still on their watch, starting, stopping the Garmin. It's, it's defeating the purpose. It's taking that focus away from from what you should be focus, focused on. And, yeah. you know, it's just that if you, can, if you can basically hit your pace, hit your times without having a watch tell you what pace you're going, you just know 
then you're yeah. going to be so much better off come race day because you know whether you need to back it off after that first 500 or you know if you've gone out too far like it uh, too fast it's just um it's one of those things that again it takes time and it just takes not uh, not relying on the watch to tell you that stuff and the same goes with um with running like i'm i'm guilty of this when i was training for for ironman a few seasons back i would you know i went out way too fast in the first k of my of a half ironman um didn't blow up too badly at the end but um you know, I just I probably relied on on my watch a little too much, and so I I don't think I quite had the pacing that I would as if I was in the in the pool. So yeah. it's um yeah, you know, I'm, I'm certainly guilty of that stuff too. But um, you know, one of the things you talk a lot about is especially training and coaching is very data driven these days, and there's a lot less of a focus on on that intuitiveness. I mean, what do you see with um? with coaching in terms of that, that data driven, driven approach that people are really sometimes wanting because it, because I don't know, people like to read into numbers and, and track things, you know, what, what do you see happening there? I see people often think that I'm against technology and, and measurement and data. I'm not at all. I don't, I don't, I'm not at all. The thing is it comes afterwards to me. Like to me, it's a product of your focus, um, your focus can't be a product of your data, and and people tend to, you know, do 20 minute FTP tests in a garage and then base all their training around that. And to me, that's that's not. Yeah, I just don't. I don't adhere to that. I, to my way of thinking, if I'm going to set someone's zone, I'd rather set them, especially for the bike. I'd rather put them on the road, get them to do a 40k time trial, and then take the average power of that time trial and, and work zones out from that and and then get people to to look at that after the instinctiveness after the you know do i have tension can i relax am i in flow all those things the data comes after that and and i, I see people who are so um so focused on their data that um that they if i say like if you say to them you know, well, how did it feel? What was your pedal stroke like? You know, what were you, what were you feeling? They, they, oh, it just hurt like hell. That's, that's the answer. And, and the thing is, um, okay, to my way of thinking for an athlete and, and as a coach, the, the main question is, can, can I do this without tension? How fast can I go without tension? I had a, a swim coach at one stage. Who used to spend his whole life screaming, swim soft, swim soft, swim soft, relax, <laughs> relax, relax, relax. And the funny thing about that is if I look at my racing over the years, when I was in, in the – let's just take the swim, for example. When I was swimming at my best is when I was swimming at my most relaxed. I was relaxed and somehow the times were just churning out. When I'd push for the time, I was tense and I'd miss the time. And so that's that's how it kind of works. There's this flow and this relaxation, and then there's this tension that's that's trying to drive towards this number. So you've got to kind of try and balance out the two so that the relaxation and the softness comes first, and then the data comes second. That that's what I, that's what I believe in. Yeah, that's good. That's pretty much exactly what we say to swimmers when we run clinics and and things like that. Is you want to be able to keep enough tension and tautness to maintain your form and your your technique through yeah. your, you know through your hands your forearms your your core 
you need enough tautness. Obviously, you don't want to be like a worm in the water. But after that, relax as much as possible because that's when things start to feel really easy. And and I've been talking a bit about this lately is with the, the longer swims I've been doing now that I'm training for, for longer swims is when I feel when I swim fastest and when I feel the best is when I feel like my body can just keep going forever and I can almost, it feels like I've kind of stepped out of that a little bit. So I'm not, I'm just, I feel like I'm just kind of watching myself swim and it feels very easy and comfortable. It's relaxed, but the times are actually uh, uh, pretty good compared to what I'd, I'd usually do. And it's that, I think for me, at least it's, it's that ability to be able to do things, um, in a very relaxed way and that's when I can get into flow um, very comfortably and um, and you see that with with swimmers at the pool if you go to the pool and there's 20 people in there if you look at the the fastest swimmers in there they're most likely going to be the ones who look like they're going the easiest and where I train occasionally at um, at MSAC here in Melbourne there's um, Mac Horton who's the 400 meter freestyle um, Olympic champion from Rio. And then there's Gregorio Pelcineri, which is the 1500 meter Olympic champion from Rio. And you watch those guys swim and it doesn't actually look like they're going that fast because they make it look so easy. Uh, yeah. But you know, compare that to someone who's thrashing up and down and really fighting for it. There's a big, big difference there. So I think that applies in swimming more than most other sports, but just in, in general, even if it's, let's say if it's, uh, if it's work, if it's business or family life, it's, it's when you're, you're letting things um, just go, when you, when you relax with things, that's when it, um, things happen naturally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mate, I, I you know, the big, the big question is, um, you know, the, the questions you can ask yourself in training, is, the, the big one is, am I in flow? Can I relax? But, but the, the thing that happens when you are performing at your best, and I, you hear people say this all the, time, all the time, I had a fantastic race, and I'm always interested when they say that, and I'm there, what did you notice? Oh, it was just over in a second. It was just like I disappeared, and I think that's the key word, can I, can I disappear? And I know we, we paddle ski, um, ocean racing skis, and I know if I'm tense, it's just not going to happen. You know, it, it, you, you've got to you've got to be in flow with the ocean ski. You've got chop side chop. You've got wind. You've got swell. Everything's happening. But when I'm paddling at my best, there's just this focus on catch on both sides, and then I just you keep that flow and rhythm, and you, the mind backs out further and further and further until you find that you've disappeared, and then it's just one in flow movement. And that's a really complicated thing to balance a, a, a really narrow ocean ski while there's swell and wind and everything going on. You can you can find a way to disappear in that process, and then you, the, the paddling technique is perfect. It's really strange how that that goes, and it's the same in swimming. But I also think it's the same in every sport. It's the same in in on the bike, and you can you know, isolate your glutes and your pedal strokes smooth, you're relaxed on the aero bars, you just, you, you're blank, you've disappeared in that process and the same thing in the run and I've worked with sports support with with um, ocean paddlers and, and one guy in particular um, who we worked on him just disappearing in the process by actually bringing, when, he, when his mind started to get busy, we worked on him just feeling his knees on the board and the surface tension of the water in his hands and then when pain surfaces to move towards the pain instead of trying to block it out 
then you find you can disappear not not just in the performance but you can also disappear in the pain because you've become the conduit for the pain and that's what people understand when this they don't understand when there's tension you're blocking the the movement of your energy and that sounds a bit hippie but it's absolutely true because you can try it out when you allow when you disappear the pain moves through you like you're a piece of conduit and and that's when you're cooking with gas so the the big thing is to can i disappear in this performance that ties in nicely to something else that you you wrote recently was about it's kind of the the funny thing about well mindfulness is a very uh widely used term now and you know, mindfulness is really just being in the the now but the funny thing about being in the now is as soon as you think about or try to be in the now you've lost your flow so yeah, it's yeah. those those tactics that you just spoke about or those methods of kind of getting into flow feeling your knees on the board your the pressure on your hands that's the way to go about it instead of trying to trying to think about getting into flow or, or, or being present it's um it's a, it's a funny thing about that where you've just yeah I, I think you've just got to focus on the task at, at hand and then it happens naturally and having a couple of those cues like you just mentioned that's a, a good way to go about it yeah yeah your performance is is a felt sense it, it's felt sense and, and i often say that to athletes and they go but what does that mean you know i'm going at this speed i'm 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 you know and i'm going yeah but that's not where it's happening it's happening in your body it's happening in your being. You you are the vehicle, you know, and 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 that's where that's where you're. If you can focus from the inside out, and say so you're not using your mind, you're using your body. The body the body is an incredibly intelligent thing. If you think about it, you breathe in and out without thinking about it. Your heart beats without thinking about it. Your your liver's detoxifying. Your kidneys are doing their job. Your gallbladder's um sifting out fats everything's happening completely free of any thought or any you know um effort of your own people never think about that it's such a strange thing that we think that we need to effort so hard to do certain things and yet without any effort whatsoever we're waking up every morning that, that's a kind of a miracle on on its own you know and hmm. that's the intelligence of the body we we give we kneel at the altar of the, of the belief system and the mind, but it's 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 not true. The 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 entity that we are, the the field of consciousness that is aware and alive and effortless, is always in the background. And it's just to start focusing there and not giving so much credence to the to the bullshit that comes up in our heads. <laughs> what what got you into this sort of? Uh... I guess in, in this line of uh, coaching and thinking, like was it was this something that you started with a, from the very early days from when you started coaching or racing or is it something that you developed over time and became um, and saw the importance of it uh, as you developed as a coach? Well, I met a – when I was racing in, way back in 92, I met a psychologist, a clinical psychologist by the name of Arthur Jackson in Sydney and um, – he started with uh, a kind of hypnotherapy, which is basically teaching you how to to um, come from the felt sense, not and to leave the mind on the back burner. But it, <clears throat> I was a really, I, I guess most athletes are A A type personalities, very very driven, um, goal orientated. But the flip side of that 
is anxiety. And I suffered for, year, for, for years with anxiety, really intense anxiety. And I, I got to a point at, when I stopped racing where I just found that the anxiety was moving into other areas of my, my life. And I don't think it was that. I think it was actually that I became aware of the fact that anxiety was a big part of my my life because of the way that I thought about myself and the belief systems that I had in place that I wasn't good enough or I needed to effort to get this done, to get that done, and if I don't do this, this will happen. It's all fear-based. And so I just got fed up with it and I just thought, I'm going to start to look at this. And so I started the research and I started to go to to, um, to uh, at first meditation retreats and then I got interested in um, Enneagram, um, you know, psychological profiling, all those kinds of things. And then, you know, conscious, the consciousness um, courses and awareness. And over time, my anxiety, like a wave at the beach, it just drew back. The more, I, the more conscious I became, the less anxious I became. And it, ch- it changed my whole life. But not only that, it changed the way I started to view coaching. And I just think as a group, athletes probably have the, have the most to gain from, from this kind of work because we deal with our felt senses all day, every day. And we, we go down the road of our belief systems uh, and we're dragging these belief systems along. And, and you see it like at, at, the, at the Olympics when you see people crack under pressure. You know, at that moment, if you can find a way to be without your judgmental belief systems and your judgmental thought processes, you're just there with, the, with what you've got in front of you. And that's, that's the, the, it's just a simplification it's getting back to that with, with what you were born with. When you were born, there was no mind structure, there was no thought process, but you were still there. You were still breathing in and out. You were still fully aware. You were still conscious. And I think it was NASA that did a study um, on genius because, and what they found was that kids up to, the, to, to five years of old, five years of age, had genius um, uh, like uh, their potential was uh, like genius. And then as they hit school age and they, they, they went further and further up, this genius capacity that was at 80% became 60, uh, 50, 40, 30. And by the time you're a full grown adult, it's down to like 2% because your ability to function as a field of awareness is gone. So your genius capacity is gone. I thought that was really interesting. That was a NASA study that a lot of people poo-pooed, but it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. What what percentage of athletes do you think have some kind of anxiety around, well, whether it's around maybe work or whatever, but particularly sport? Like how many... I know it's a very common thing that I've I've seen in sport, and you know I, I think a lot of it comes down can come down to obviously that that pressure around that you can put on yourself from racing and results and um, judging yourself and comparing yourself to other other people, and especially if you're training a lot, it's it, it can be easy to spend a lot of time in your own head. So um, I, yeah, it feels like that that sort of stuff can um, can lead into anxiety. I mean, yeah, how how much do you see it in in what you do? Oh, tons. I mean, it, it's, I guess it's a mirror of society as well. I guess 
you probably see as much anxiety in sport as you see in the general population and in the general population is it's everywhere because um our whole structure is based off fear and and what the what i've learned over over time and what i've 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 been taught by um great teachers is that fear the acronym for fear is false evidence appearing real and that's true the more you delve into this kind of work the more you realize that and that it, okay, in my life, the the big thing for me that I use these days is accept is acceptance without exception. So that means I accept everything, even and even this, even this, which is really, really, really difficult. But what you realize over time is that dissolves the fear-based ego, the fear-based belief system that drives us all, and that governments use, and that marketing uses against us, and that the Big Pharma uses to scare the, the shit out of everybody that you need to take this drug, that drug, the other drug. It's all it's all fear based, but it's in sport too. And so we we we're in fear of not performing. And I think that comes down to that whole the fear of winning. I don't think we're afraid of losing. I actually think we're afraid of winning because what what winning means is. I'm going to take all the blocks out. I'm going to remove all the psychological barriers and I'm going to put my nose into the wind and I'm just going to give my all. And if I fail, everybody's going to see it. That's the, that's the fear of winning. And I think that holds people back. It's, 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 um, it's just a fear thing, you know, and that's anxiety. That's the, that's the definition of anxiety. And because that fear drives a future-based thought pattern of, well, what if what happened three months ago in that race happens to me in the next race? And then you're frozen in that fear, and, and that takes you away from the process. And I guarantee you, like I don't know about, about you, but as a coach I've seen the same things manifested over and over and over and over again until somebody lets that block go. Does that make sense to you? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. There's – um. It's uh, and you say I, I say it also not not in sport but just in um, you know in in general life with people is the same they run into the same roadblocks the same problems again and again and again often until they can, can realize that make a shift in their thinking which can change the way that they act about things and then and then break through it but particularly in sport where um. You know, it might be let's say for a, a swimmer is you know, let's say for the, the the medley like someone someone's got this thing in their head where okay I'm not a good I'm not a good breaststroker and so I know that I'm just going to get swamped in the breaststroke which is the, the third leg of the the medley and then I'm going to have to fight to come back but um, yeah I'm just because I'm no good at breaststroke I I can't I won't have enough energy to to come back in that freestyle. Like I've seen, I've seen that sort of stuff a lot. Um, yeah. And then in triathlon, it plays out whether it's like I'm not a good runner or I always bonk at the, you know, the thirtieth k into the uh, into the run. Um, yeah. Is is that the sort of stuff that you've you've seen play out time and time again? Oh yeah. If you've if you've got that block in place, it will manifest, and and it'll keep manifesting until something deep within your psyche goes wake up. It's like a it's like a slap in the face, and I, um, I mean, a great analogy is breakdown is ground zero, and I really believe in that. It certainly in my life, it took me to get to a point where I was on my knees, 
before I actually woke up enough and to go, you know, this isn't this isn't kosher. Surely there's more here than this. And then you start building your way out. So I think the same things keep manifesting frustratingly over and over again until you wake up and, and move out of that dynamic. And and um you know that that whole victim mentality. If you people get in that victim mentality and they expect something to happen and it happens, and then they 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 go back to that I am the victim and and of course if you think you're the victim you are the victim. You know it's that's how it rolls. It's mm. we're creating our reality, our own reality at every single minute, and we haven't been taught that. And that's that's the important thing. Um, you're not taught that at school. You're not taught that as you grow up. Your parents don't teach you that. You are creating your own reality. Everybody's directing you the way they want you to go when you're a kid. But when you get older, it becomes bleeding obvious that, wait a minute, I'm creating my own reality here by, by the thoughts that I have and the belief systems that I have in place. And what I would challenge everybody out there listening to this is become the watcher of your own thinking. And what you'll find is if you have a negative thought or you have a negative belief system, you'll find that belief system goes around in a circle and it starts off where it stopped every single time and it'll go round and round and round in your thought processes a million times and it becomes so repetitive, eventually you go, I'm really sick of this thought. And that's how, And but that they're the thoughts that keep us stuck. They're the thoughts that surface at 20K into the run or, or 30K into the run or you know, on the bike when the wind starts blowing or, you know, at the buoy when everybody takes off, that they're the thoughts that tend to surface. And if you can catch those thoughts, you can, you can just, you can just let them be there. Oh, there's that thought, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to roll with that. I'm just going to not listen to it. I'm going to just go back to my felt sense process. That's the disarmory of that thought process. Always mm. felt sense, always in the body. It's the way out of that, of that, chaotic repetitive crap you know what you made me think of something that happened a couple of years ago where i was um i was doing a training session with with daniel kowalski who was uh, you know was a 1500 meter swimmer and he was coming back to he was basically training up for a, a year to come and compete at the national masters champs and um and so i jumped in with him after a, a, a coaching session and we're going through a, a 10 150 set and the, it was basically build one to three, so three, six, and nine were the fast ones. And on the ninth one, I, I was really digging deep. And at the hundred meter turn of the hundred and fifty, I was I was pretty much up with him in this set. And I mean, I'm nowhere near as quick as, as Daniel was, but he obviously I was a bit younger, a bit fitter at the time, and I was up with him. And my thought when I was up with him at that hundred meter mark when I turned was, oh, you shouldn't be up here with him you're not that quick and so automatically I sort of slowed down a little bit I, I backed off to make sure I was a little bit behind him and so I came in I don't know half a second a second behind him in that last 150 which which was hard and uh and it's always stuck with me it's to that thought that came into my head that oh you shouldn't be be up here with him you're you're a slower swimmer than him and yeah. it's it, it's just a really yeah I, I found it really interesting that 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 happened and I've, I've caught myself doing that on a, a few occasions 
um, if I'm training with someone who, you know, who is a, a very good swimmer and I, I shouldn't be, you know, I feel like I shouldn't be up there. Um, but I th- that awareness around the thought itself is the, is the beginning of starting to, to change that. So I can't say I've, I've changed that for good, but at least I'm aware of it now. Yeah. But yeah, just that, that reminded me of, of that, that moment a couple of years ago and it's always stuck with me. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? Like I, I had an experience like that. I, I did a um, when I was racing Ironman, I'd, I'd never swum under 48, and, and one year in Europe, um, I got my goggles kicked off at the start of an Ironman, and I stopped, and I uh, thought, oh, this is a disaster, <laughs> like this is all over, man. So I stopped, I put the goggles back on, I started swimming, and I was, like, it felt like the whole field was in front of me, and I'm, and I, and I'm, I'm swimming along, and I'm passing people. I just was just in my body because I'd just given up on the outcome completely. And after about um, 15 minutes, I was in clear water and I could see a group of guys ahead of me and I, and I just concentrated on my stroke and I, I, I just relaxed and I, I caught these guys and moved straight past and then I could see a few guys at the front. So I just same thing, I just kept relaxing, I just kept concentrating just on the felt sense and I caught these two guys, had no idea that they, these were the two guys that were leading the race and I've come out of the water and looked up at the clock, it says 46. And then I've come in the transition, and like I'm first in the transition. That never happened before, and this is after I had the most disastrous swim start in history. And it's it's just funny. What what are we capable of, athletes, without these belief systems? And that's the point. Is can we get to a point in 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 a race where it's almost a meditative experience, where it's just us and the process, and and nothing else. The, the thought isn't required if you know if, if I told you if I if I got you to um, for instance say I'm going to get you to cross the road without using your mind without thinking it without thinking about it you're going to look you're going to see a car coming left or right you're going to cross that road it doesn't require your belief system or your thought process and that's that's to me as a coach and and that's the that's our big opportunity. That is sport's big opportunity, and and I, I really believe that even all the way from the the beginner all the way up to the world's best, there's a there's an opportunity there that we're not looking at. It, it's kind of in the dark, and it's it's been pushed around. People are going, ah, oh, mindfulness, ah, oh, blah 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 blah. I don't. I'm not a big fan of that word because it implies that we're using belief system and mind, and I think that's getting people really confused. It's what are we capable of is if it's just our field of awareness and that race and, and nothing else. And then you're, you're, you're dictated to by the, the fire in your guts. Like the, the fire, and when you're in a race, and I'm sure you've felt this, you get, sometimes you get this fire in your gizzard where I don't care if I even have to die during this race, I'm enjoying this so much. And that's a, that's a feeling. That's not a thought. That The fire, the desire, all the things that make you – great on that day are bubbling up from your gizzards. They're not coming from your mind telling you you are king. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just you and that process. It's just gold. Yeah, I, I had a, uh, a swimming comp recently, uh, I think it was two or three weeks ago, and it was the first time in a long, long time that I've, that I've really had, uh, I guess, a competitive, felt really sort of competitive there as in that fire in the belly that I 
that I want to win, that I want to that I want to do really well, and I've also been able to kind of finish well. So when I was when I was a, a teenager, one of the things that I I did best was I could come home really strong. The last fifty, the last hundred, I I had that fitness where I could do that, and I've been training a lot a lot lately. So I mean, you obviously need the the fitness base there to be able to do it. But this was the first time in a very long time that I had the that attitude of all right, this is you know this is this is mine to to lose basically, and being able to to come home strongly, and it's um and the the difference in my mindset was you know usually it's like oh, geez this last fifty this last hundred is gonna hurt and I don't know how how much I'm gonna lose you know in, in this last fifty to to everyone else, um, but it, it changed to the last 50, the last 100, this is where I'm, I'm really warmed up and ready to go. And as I said, obviously you need the, the fitness there to be able to do it. You can't just do it by thinking about it. But um, it was such a shift in the way I thought about racing um, because I yeah, just haven't done that for a long time. And it was just, um, it was another one of those things where I went, okay, well, yeah, this is, you know, it's just a, a mindset that I've had recently where I, I wasn't too fussed about my, results uh and you know i'm not often that competitive i'm a bit more easygoing than um, than a a lot of people but it was nice to have that competitive streak come back because i think it's you know if you can have that kind of if, if you're if you train yourself to to be strong to be fit to have that real real fire but feel like you've just you know you can turn on that that beast mode when you when you need to if you've got that in reserve and you need to bring it out at at times that's a really good feeling to have and um i know you know just especially over the last i reckon sort of 10 years i've I've kind of gone to that yeah that less competitive side but it was nice to be able to bring that back yeah yeah Uh, that's that's so true hey like you um you know i feel the the same kinds of thing where I, i was so traumatized by trying to be competitive that you just don't want to be competitive anymore because it's too traumatic it's too it's too much effort but the the important thing to know, I think, where competitiveness is concerned is that it's you and it's only ever you. It, it, you know what I mean? It, it's it's not something that you can project outwards. It's not something that other people can project inwardly at you. And I, I don't know how many times I've heard athletes say, oh, you know, like I've got everybody looking at me, my mum my, my and dad are coming and my brother and sister and my uncle and my my." my nephew and everybody else and I just don't want to disappoint and it just adds that layer of pressure and that becomes a miserable experience so one of the key things to remember as an athlete is that you can never please other people doesn't matter what you do you can never please other people because essentially if if you put 10 people in a room with a blue bowl and you get 10 different people to look at it with 10 different upbringings they're all going to see something different and describe something different if you ask them to so in your performance you'll get 10 different views as well so the important thing is it's you and it's only ever you when it comes to competitiveness and the competitiveness is a a fire it's a it's a it bubbles up from your guts and i've heard um world champions say again or again and again you know competitive competitiveness inner fire it's an inner fire that just bubbles and I you know guys like Mark Allen I mean um, Chris McCormack I heard him say Chrissy Wellington Daniela Reef I all heard Dave Scott all these people all say it really interesting things about the way they compete and that is 
I didn't know what time of day it was. I didn't know what was happening. I was just on fire. And that's that's you connecting to yourself. So the important thing is try not to project out, try not to project in, just let it surface through your through your own through your own gut. And that energy is is all powerful, you know, and it, it can take you it can breed the enjoyment of that competitiveness. That's where the enjoyment of competition is. It's within you. And if it's projected to other people, I'm talking even sponsors, parents, um, all the peripheral support that you've got, it will drain you and it'll, it'll just empty you out and com- competition will become an exhaustive experience. I. I was looking at uh, some comments around. So you know, Elon Musk he launched the the Falcon Heavy, the massive rocket, and landed it successfully, and, and all of that. And I've seen that even after doing that, there's people writing articles about basically downplaying how amazing it was, and like just you know looking at the negative aspect of of that. And it's like, geez, it doesn't matter what you do. There's always going to be people who will see it in a different way just like you were speaking about so it's that's why i think you know that looking at your inner self and and just being the only for you know focused on that and not worrying about other people and trying to please them but just doing the very best that you can you know that's that's where i think the 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 peace of mind and the the happiness comes into it because uh yeah as you said it's very hard to please other people and and one of the things we were talking about at this you know before we started the podcast and not really related to what we were just speaking about then but is um is in with raising your kids in in sports so um, i know you've got um, a son who's who's quite a successful boxer and can you talk about what you did around your i guess parenting and getting him into sport what what was your i guess role how do you see things and what do you let him do growing up to to have him reach you know a pretty high level in boxing it, the funny the, what i what i did with our kids which i spent a lot of the time um probably judging myself about a lot was i created the space for them and and what that means for for me was uh, you know they if they have the the inner drive to be good at sport, they have the inner drive to be good at sport, and they will be good at sport. My inner drive, my drive to make them good at sport, would do absolutely nil. And yes, they may be successful as a junior or something, but they'd end up hating that process. So what I did was I just created the space. I, I took them surfing, and and you know the the younger guy ran for a while, and then they did their own thing, and. And Reese, you know, the up my older boy, he just he he just thought triathlon was ridiculous, and I thought that was really cool. Actually, he really liked being with the triathletes, and and especially when when we had the pro squad in full swing, they they were you know um, directly influenced by those guys positively, of course. But um, they never they never had triathlon on their radar at all, and. My younger ones are—he does photography and he's a skater and he's a bit of a cruiser. And the older one started going to the gym just for fitness, and the gym he was um, training at was a boxing gym. And then the, the coach said to him after a few years, "Why don't you do some sparring?" And that's how it happened. And then he developed his own fire, and he loves it. He absolutely loves boxing, which is really strange because he is the most gentle kid you would ever meet and and but when he's in that ring 
he comes out with, with eyes of fire. <laughs> it's just really, it's an anomaly. It's the strangest thing I've ever seen. But there you are, right? Like he, he, that inner fire is in him. It's not in me and it's not in his mother or his stepmother or anyone else. It's his. It's uniquely his. And I think as parents, the best thing we can do is create the space for our kids to develop because at the end of the day, yes, we're their parents, but they're not ours. They're their own field of consciousness and they they will have their own life path. So that's the way I look at it, to just let them develop and create the space and the guidance for them to to explore life. Yeah, I think that's such a good way to go about it. And I'm, uh, I'm doing a, a podcast with Wayne Goldsmith who – who talks a lot about children in sport and the, and the best way to, to go about it. I've got a podcast with him um, tomorrow, which I'll be recording, which I'm looking forward to. And I, I just, yeah, I've been thinking more and more about this as a, well now as a, as a parent and, and as a coach and just thinking, all right, what do I, do I want to uh, put my son into to swimming and we take him to the pool pretty regularly. I, I definitely wanted to have the, the life skills of being able to swim and swim well and be confident um, but yeah. I'm not going to push him into to anything. If he enjoys it, great. We'll we'll encourage that. But um, just see where it where it leads. And I, I think back to, I mean, I I absolutely love swimming. Obviously, I it's ninety percent of what I do in in terms of coaching and 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 competing. And the same, it was the same thing. We were never pushed into it uh, at all. Uh, you know, my parents were were really good with that. Uh, yeah. And they just basically you know took us along to swimming. Um, we started pretty early. We trained regularly and it was it was tough growing up through school with uh yeah, lack of sleep training seven eight times a week but to me i got i got a lot of recognition from friends at school and, and people at school from that um i had a really good friendship base at swimming that's where i had a lot of my my best friends and you know and i really enjoyed it and i loved the challenge and and that's why i still like it today because there was no pressure to um, yeah, to, to do it basically. And I, I remember maybe two or three times a year, I'd, I'd get sick or I'd be really, really tired and I, I, I didn't want to go train. I didn't feel up to it. And I, I said to my mum and dad or my dad, because he was my coach, I said, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to go training tonight. I'm just, I'm not feeling well. And I was always in the back of my mind, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I, I kind of feel bad asking for training off. Um, but I, I, asked him and he said, yeah, that's, that's fine. No worries. You know, get, get better. There was never any pressure there. And I think as soon as there would have been, if he'd questioned my motives there, I, I think that could have been the start of something where I would have gone, oh, okay. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't trust my judgment, doesn't trust me. And, and that could have changed things quite radically. So it's got me thinking about that more and more and the, and how I want to talk to my, yeah, my kid about this, this sort of stuff. So yeah, I've just I've just found that interesting. Yeah, I, I inspire their love. I mean, that's the that's the key thing for me. You know, I grew up surfing as a kid, and I, and I went into triathlon and and all sorts of things. That it keeps it just keeps sucking me back. <laughs> I find myself on ocean skis, or I'm, you know, I, I stop surfing for a few years, and then I'm back. I, I just end up back there. I keep going back and back, and what, uh, you know, that I come to the conclusion I love the ocean. I love surfing. It's it's part of me. It's in me, and you know, it's for some people that's swimming or it's it's whatever it is. But I think everybody has 
um, the capacity to find a love of a sport or a pastime, and that's a lifelong process. And and inspiring that in your kids, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's that's awesome. Find what find your passion. Find what you love. Everybody has everybody, you know, every being has that um, capacity. And what a great thing to inspire into a kid. It's just that when it when it becomes a congested process of pushing, then it becomes, you know, you you can literally talking getting back to talking about anxiety. You can teach a kid how to be anxious. You can actually teach them how to be anxious. Not that you're responsible for their anxiety, but they can become a little traumatized by the constant pressure. And I, and so it's always as a parent, it's always good to just reflect a little bit and, you know, just. Um, Look at it and say, yeah, am I am I am I doing this for um, the right reasons? Is this you know altruism or is it just <laughs> you know me wanting them to be great so I can feel great? You know, it's, yeah, which yeah. is a motivation for some people, which is sad for the kids. Oh, yeah, and you you do see it um, do see it quite a bit, and I uh, one, an interesting thing that that I'm thinking back to again, my childhood was I used to hate the beach. I used to hate coming home Sandy. Um, I, yeah, I still went there and still occasionally had some fun, but I know when I was 12, 13, 14, I didn't really like going to the beach that much. And now today, for the last probably 12 years, surfing has been probably the similar to you, just the thing that I, that I love the most. I think it's just, you know, I think about it a lot. And it's it's one thing that I enjoy just just a whole lot. And you know, yesterday I spent four hours in the car to go down the beach and back because we moved out to the country now. And um, there's not too many other things that I would probably spend that time in the car going to do. So it can things can change with people, and that's why I think it's important not to force things. Because had I been forced to to go to the the beach more and more, I might have put up my barriers as a kid and gone, you know, I I I don't want to do this at all. Um, and, and I might not have gotten into surfing, which would have been a real shame because it, I, I enjoy it so much. And um, yeah, I, I think that that uh, yeah, is really important not to not to force things. And uh, I, I saw I was looking at your website, the Sports Support website, and you're, you've got some workshops coming up uh, later in the the year. Um, can you talk a little bit about those? And I'm re- I'm actually I'm excited about this because I mean, similar to other coaches that I've had on the the podcast that I kind of talk on very similar lines. I, I think it, it's really good that you're running workshops on this sort of stuff now. And I've had Nam Baldwin on the podcast. I don't know if you know um, Nam, but he's the performance coach of um, uh, of Mick Fanning and a few other surfers. He's very much along similar lines to, to you. And I know he runs breath holding workshops and a, a few other similar style of workshops, which is which is really good and I know they, they do very well. And that's why I think it's great that you've kind of gotten into this now because there's so many people who ask me about mindset, you know, that mental training and just, you know, all of that stuff around around sport that um, there's not many places that I can direct them. And so I think it's a real a real need. So can you talk a bit about those, those workshops that you got coming up? Yeah, we... I guess like everybody finds a niche, right? Like I, I used to think that um, coaching was my big thing, but I think this is something that I do that like we spoke about um, where desire and, and uh, fire comes from. And for me, this work is coming 
up from within. It just feels great to, to talk about it. And I, I really think for athletes, it's a, it's a big area of growth. So what we thought we'd do is just um, we're going to run some workshops in uh, Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney, uh, Gold Coast, um, just a few different places and just start to maybe get people to come along and to um, maybe unpick some of these issues, get them to become a little bit more watchful of their of the way that they they operate in training. So we're, pro- we're going to be in Melbourne in May and then Brisbane, Sydney, and we'll, we'll have those dates up on the website. We're not going to make it too intensive, just maybe a few hours, four hours max at any workshop so people aren't um, – like overwhelmed by it and um we, we'd like to have it a little bit um a little bit of back and forth in it so people can talk about their experiences what they experience and then they can they'll have some takeaways that they can take away and and bring into their training so they can they can uh see what it does for them because there's so many things in training that are are subjective and and that's and that's the thing. It's to become aware that what you think is rigid is not rigid. It's actually subjective based on the way that you think about it. And so, yeah, we're going to try and spread that word. Yeah, that's uh, that's really good. And it's for, you were saying, I think before, it's, it's for all ages. So juniors, adults, yeah, anyone can come along. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, anybody. That's um, yeah, that's great, and I'll I'll put the link to the um, to those clinics on our website at effortlesswimming.com, and that's it's sportssupport.com. Is it .au? It's sportssupports with an s dot com dot au. Yeah. Dot com. Yeah. Dot com dot au. So, um, yeah, I'll make sure that's up on our our website and uh, and closer to the date as well. Just um, let me know you know when when um, when they're coming up, and I can put that out on our social media pages because um yeah i think it's it's something that i i don't think there's much of that around at all but um something that that i've gotten a lot out of in the in the past especially from speaking to you the first time and yeah. uh and i know that you do really well so i think it's it's great that you're, you're getting into that because you know the i think we've really found our niche with our our technique clinics we've really changed them and adapted them over the last three or four years and to a, to a place where i think we you know, we've really got it dialed in in well, and the results that we get with people are um, are really good. And it's and there's not much like that out there. And so I think this is again one of those things that there's a big need for it, but there's just no one really doing it and and doing it well. So um, yeah, I'm I'm great. I'm really excited that you've you've gotten into that. Thanks, mate. Yeah, well, look, I, I think it's you know I'm not I'm not a trained um, psychologist. I just but. It's been a it, it's been a ten year study process and and the you know the years of coaching and being an athlete and being involved in sport it it's just I think um, it's getting down onto the to the level that the athletes on and and not having as a coach you've kind of got this you've got two different areas but with this work you can get you can get down right right on onto the ground with athletes and I think. It's narrowing the gap between psychology and sport and making it a little bit more accessible and a little bit more easy to understand for people. I think that's the, the idea of it. I th- yeah, I think that's the most important thing. We used to have a, a sports psychologist come and speak to a, a group of us uh, and I reckon she came for probably three years in a row. I saw her a fair bit. But it was, it was the same presentation each time and it was basically reading from a PowerPoint and it was it felt like it was just 
she put together these points that were straight out of a book. Yeah, she'd had a bit of experience working with athletes and swimmers, but there was nothing, there was very little there that I could actually connect with. And it didn't feel like she'd actually gone that deep with, you know, in, into this field with, with swimmers and, and really had a wide range of athletes that, she, that she'd worked with and, and she hadn't really developed anything uh, herself through it. So I just, it was very stale. And so I know, you know most of the, the people there, they didn't sort of connect with it. And there was, there was no back and forth. It was all just, she's talking from this PowerPoint, goes for an hour um, and there was no discussion around it. We didn't weren't required to sort of think our think about our own situation in in those terms, and it just yeah I, I didn't get a lot out of it. But um, what I have got a lot out of is is people who have sort of been in the trenches and experienced it, especially you know someone like yourself who's gone through anxiety, they've overcome it, and you've developed your your way of of doing that through through years of experience and research and you know, and, and looking at different methods. So you know that's that's kind of the way I like to approach my coaching is take all this stuff from my experience, learn from lots of different coaches and then just develop your own, my own way to go about it based on, on working with a lot of people uh, over the course of time. So yeah, I, I think that's where people actually get the results. It doesn't matter whether or not you've necessarily got the, uh, you know, the psychologist qualification because sometimes that, that can hold you back as it, because you've got to follow these structured guidelines sometimes. So that's, yeah, yeah I, I think it's important to draw from your own experience and, and just share what's worked. Yeah, great. I, I don't think, uh, to me, psychology is not an area where you can prepare. And, and I, I, I found that out by going and, and talking to, to groups that the best way to prepare was to not prepare. Because, I mean, the, the, the experience is in there. It, it doesn't, it, you know, if you put it into a structured format, it gets, it just, the, the message gets lost. And, and it's such a personal thing, talking about psychology, we're talking about the way we think, it's really intimate. So to me, it's, it's an intimate subject that, and because we're talking about flow and we're talking about all those types of things and that, that the, then it makes sense that the workshops are that way as well. So, yeah, yeah. Right. It's, it's like um, yeah, a, a good massage therapist and a, and a not so good one is, you know, the not so good one will just follow this, um, this general format of how they do every massage. And then those that are experienced, those that kind of know their stuff, they, they'll ask you, all right, you know, basically what's your training been like? You saw in any, any areas, you should be focused on a, on a certain point, you know, what have you got coming up? And then they can adapt and adjust the, adjust it to, to suit the actual person in front of them. And that's, that's how I think things should, should go. Um, so yeah, I'm looking, looking forward to it. So um, Josie, where can people find out more about um, what you're doing and what you've got coming up. And uh, I know we've been going for a while, so I appreciate you um, spending the time and, and sharing all of this because I know it's been one of my, my longer podcasts, but it's, uh, it's one that I've really enjoyed. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. They, I mean, all, the inf all our info is on um, the Sports Supports website. It's sportssupportsoneword.com.au. And it, it's all, we'll put all, everything up there as it, as it comes to hand. And there's a Sports Supports um, Facebook page too that we – we put little blogs on there. We have a little uh, constant blog, uh, one or two blogs a week that go up just around different subjects, pressure, all those kinds of things. So people are more than welcome to come on there, ask questions. We I love talking about this stuff. So open to any um, conversation or feedback or questions. No problem.
Excellent. Thanks, mate. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I'll make sure we get the word out about these, uh, these workshops. Thanks, Charlesy. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.